Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes, and how exciting that day is going to be. The good news is we're one week closer than we were last week when I said that. And so we have that to look forward to, knowing that he sits on his throne, knowing that he's in charge, knowing the tomb is empty, and we can rejoice that he is the true God of heaven, and our faith and our trust is in him. This morning, I want us to continue with our study the, on Christ of the book. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 7 uh, tells us that in the volume of the book, it's written of me. This is the Lord Jesus talking about the fact that he is the theme of the scriptures. Uh, every book of the Bible, he is the central theme. He is the living word. We have the written word here, and we praise God for that. But we need to realize that Jesus Christ is the living word. You want to know God the Father, then you have to know God the Son, the living word. Where we find out about his character, uh, about his attributes, are in the written word. And that is why we stand on this, this Bible. We're going to continue with the study on Christ of the book. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Numbers, the book of Numbers. Before we get there, this is always a lot of fun. I, I always appreciate uh, people coming and saying, yeah, but what about this? And, and I realize that uh, this study, each, one, each book should take months to go through. I mean, we whiz through Genesis and through uh, Exodus and, and, and Job too, because we put it after Exodus, uh, or ex after Genesis. And so we're not able to touch on, on everything. Uh, it's going to take us 66 plus weeks as it is to get through each book. If we spent the amount of time as each book deserves, it takes us 66 years. I'm, I'm convinced of that because that's uh, that much study to be done here. But someone did ask me, a question, and I thought it was interesting, and it's something that, that I want to point out because I think others have the same question. In Exodus chapter 29, it says, it, it gives us some information that people find puzzling. In Exodus 29, it talks about something that people kind of scratch their head and they go, what is this all about? And I think the symbolism and the point of it is so important that we understand, that we grasp, that we don't want to move past this Exodus portion uh, without mentioning this. But in Exodus chapter 29, down to verse 20. Exodus 29, verse 20, Tim. And then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And some of you have gone, huh? What is that for? And open, and upon the tip of his right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe, or the, the, upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle blood upon the altar round about. And people... How many of you ever read that before? How many of you ever understood that before? And, and when uh, somebody, okay, Tom, I'll tell him. It was Tom, Tom Dressel. 
And he said, what in the world is that all about? Well, it is, it's, it's symbolism. It's something that these priests of the Lord were to be reminded of as they did these sacrifices. They were to put the blood that they had just sacrificed on their earlobe as a symbol to everyone that they were listening to God, that they were hearing His Word, that they were listening to the people. Because remember, that's what a priest is. It's a representative between God and man, and man and God, to God. And so here these, these priests would take this sacrifice and it was symbolic of the fact that we are listening to you, God. And this blood that we just sacrificed, it's on our ear. It is to remind us that it's our job to listen to the Lord. They were to put it on their right thumb as consecrating their hands to the Lord's service. Lord, this sacrifice, this blood reminds me that I'm in your service that my hands are to be used for your, for your benefit and for your glory. And when they put the blood on their toe, their right toe, it was symbolic that as they, as, as they were following after righteousness in their service to God. So that's what that's all about. And everyone who would see the priest coming, they would see the blood on his ear. They would see the blood on his thumb. They would see the blood on his big toe. And it was symbolic that that's someone who is following the Lord. So that's what that's all about. I just thought that is the neatest thing in the world. I'm not recommending that any of you, we're not on the law, so we don't have to do that. But in your mind, in your heart, Say, Lord, I want to hear you. Lord, I want my hands to be used for your service. Lord, I want my feet to count as I preach the gospel of the grace of God. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach good tidings. May we ever keep that in mind. So, aren't you glad Tom asked? I know I am. Well, this morning as we look at, at number, and if you have other questions... Uh, don't hesitate to call and say, hey, I was reading this uh, and brought this point up and, and uh, I need some clarification. I love to do that. And I'll bring it to the, for the whole congregation and we'll, we'll study it. But in the book of, of X and, uh, Genesis, Christ is creator. In the book of Job, he is the almighty. In Exodus, he's the deliverer. In Leviticus, he is the instructor. And in Numbers, he is the leader. He is their leader. As he leads them 40 years in the wilderness. By the way, the trip from Mount Sinai to the promised land was only an 11-day journey. You realize that? It was only 11 days. It took them 40 years. Why is that? Because of sin, unbelief, lack of faith. And we're going to be looking at that this, this morning. But for 40 years, the book of Numbers covers that duration. It chronicles the beginning of the second year until the preparation to go into the land. 
which is 40 years, and we're going we're gonna to look at that sin that caused God to say, this generation's not going in. This generation, you're not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. They were on the verge of realizing all of God's promises. And in the book of Exodus, God had given them the law. They had built the tabernacle. They were a redeemed people. They were ready to faithfully follow God's leading. And God told them, I'm going to lead you. He's going to lead them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, which was absolute stunning evidence that their God was the true and living God. Can you imagine, can you imagine if we were to come to church every Sunday and there'd be a, a cloud, a glorious cloud over this church, nobody would be doubting that God is here, right? Of course, I hope they don't doubt that God's here anyway because because his people are here. But the, here with, with the children of Israel, God had given the instruction for the tabernacle, and God was telling them, you, you're going to realize my presence. You're going to know my presence. One of the reasons why he's so harsh in his judgments in the book of Numbers, it was overwhelming proof that he is the true and living God. When you look at the tabernacle at rest, and there was a cloud hanging over it, the Shekinah glory of God hovering over it. That's, wow, our God's leading us. And at night, in case you got scared, you would look at it and over the temple, there would be that pillar of fire, an indicator that your God was standing watch. He was watching over you. And then when it came time to leave, the, the tabernacle would be all packed up and the priests would take it upon themselves, those designated to carry the altar and to carry all the material that went into the tabernacle and they would follow that cloud. We're going to get into that in just a second. But in the book of Numbers, Christ is their leader. He is the one that directs them. He leads them to the food. He leads them to the water. He leads them all through that wilderness. But that 11-day journey ended up taking 40 years because of sin. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, and here he, where the, the, the name for numbers takes place. At the beginning of this period of time, the second year, God tells them to do a census. Take, take a census. So they take a census at the beginning of Numbers. They take another census at the end of Numbers. Therefore, the name of the book is Numbers. God proving himself faithful to provide for his people. So we find God saying, I want you to be organized. I want you to be prepared. The, the verses the following verses all have to do with the preparation that Moses and the leaders of Israel took to get the children of Israel prepared, ready to take, take themselves into that promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, 
and realizing all the promises that God was offering to Israel, all the promises that he had made to Israel were about to come to fruition, he was leading them on with multiple proofs that he was their God. From providing water when they were out of water, when providing food when they were out of food, for providing protection when they were when the enemy would come against them, all, all of that was in preparation for them to be that nation of priests that God had told them, you're going to be that peculiar people. You're going to be that nation of priests. And God's promises to be with them through all of that, we see it coming to pass here in the book of Numbers. So Numbers 1 and 2 and 3, all the way through, we have preparation to move out turn with me to numbers 9 Num, uh, num uh, number uh, chapter 9 verse 15 numbers 9 verse 15 and on the day that the tabernacle was reared up the cloud covered the tabernacle namely the tent of the testimony and even there was upon the tabernacle as it were the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed, and in place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. Christ Jesus was leading them. He was directing them in order for God's promises to be delivered unto them. Chapter 10, it talks about the trumpets and hearing the trumpets. And they were instructed to, to have two different trumpets and to blast those two trumpets. The, the purpose of the trumpets was to assemble the people. The purpose of the trumpets was to prepare them for war. The purpose of the trumpets was to gather the congregation to hear what God's plan and purpose was. So the sounding of trumpets was very important here at the very beginning. By the way, the sounding of trumpets are going to be important at the end, too. And so verse 11 of chapter 10, Israel departs Mount Sinai. There at Mount Sinai, it has been a very special place for them. They received the law. Wow, the Ten Commandments. They received the instruction for building the tabernacle, and they built it. The book of, Le uh, the book of uh, Exodus covers a period of one year. From the time they left Egypt to the time uh, the book of Exodus comes to an end, it's one year. Then in the book of Leviticus, it covers a period of one month. And during that one month is when God gives direction to the Levites, uh, to the priests, to the Levites, and what to plan for, how to, how to offer sacrifices. He educates them as to what their role and responsibility is going to be. And it was deep, it was symbolic, it was meaningful, and it was necessary. So Exodus covers a year, Leviticus covers a month, and then we have the beginning of the book of Numbers. Numbers 
10, verse 11. And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year. So the year had just started. The other one had ended this second year since they left Egypt was starting. That the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. Uh Uh-oh. They are moving out. God's promises are about to be delivered. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. And they they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And they were instructed to tear down the tabernacle and prepare it to move out. And sure enough, the Lord guiding them and directing them, he moves out. Verse chapter 11 is where Moses complains to the Lord and just says, Lord, I, I can't bear all these people. They are a pain. That's paraphrased. He says they're too heavy for me. And they were complainers, let me tell you. He even says in verse 15 of chapter 11, If thou wilt deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. They were a pain, and he was having to deal with them. So they're starting to move out. They're going to the promised land. Take some 11 days to get from the Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea to the border of the promised land. And what had God told them? He had said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it's a very prosperous area. I'm going to bless you. This land flowing with milk, which means there's a lot of grass for your animals and your goats and your sheep and your cattle and every, every animal that gives milk, they're going to have plenty to eat. You're not going to have to worry about drought conditions. You're not going to have to worry about food. Why, all of your animals are going to have more to eat than you can imagine. It's flowing with milk. All the milk-producing animals are going to flourish. And if you make your living, if that is how you count your riches, which they did, and their flocks, why, that's money in the bank. That's money in the bank. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. There's so many bees taking care of the flowers and the vegetables and all the things that are there. This, fl- this honey is produced by these bees. These bees are producing because they're s- it's so beautiful. It is absolutely, absolutely uh, flourishing. And you're going to be able to, to be sustained in abundance in abundance there in this land flowing with milk and honey. What a promise to them. They had seen the Lord faithful. They had seen the Lord faithful. You're at the Red Sea, and all of a sudden the Red Sea parts so that you miraculously can escape Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. That's quite telling about the God you serve. 
they have run out of water and they've seen God supply water. They've seen him supply food. He has met their need all the way through that year. Yet they still complain. But they've seen the Lord faithfully, faithfully supply and save them. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Start with verse 1. And just in case you're wondering why is this important for our church to look at it, look what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Moreover, brother, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all that our how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud. And in the sea. Hey, that was dry. There's no water there, by the way. Amen. And did eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are our examples to intend that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. All the things that we're studying, all the things we're looking, looking at here, their attitude and God's provision, God is saying, use them as an example of what not to do. And basically what not to do is don't distrust God. Don't lose faith in God because He is going to supply he is going to bless. That we can trust Him in everything, with everything, and for everything. We can trust God. The lesson that I, I get when I study this is, it, and, and God's people, and God's presence was just so uh, evident. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult times. That doesn't mean that even with God's presence so, so remarkably there, you're still going to have difficult times. Your faith is still going to be tried. You will have difficult times. Doesn't mean that God's not faithful. It just means God has given you an opportunity, just as He's about to do with Israel, because God said, that this is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're going to send two spies into the land. Or, or Twelve spies into the land. And those spies are going to come back with pomegranates galore. They're going to come back with uh, grape clusters that are so big they have to put them on poles to carry them. They're going to come back with plenty of evidence that everything God said was there is there. Oh, but there's also giants. There's also giants. Oh, but God, what an opportunity you have to show just how strong and mighty you are. Think about this. And as I was working on this, I, I couldn't help but think about this. 
Have you ever asked yourself the question, what would have happened had Goliath been tiny? What if the Red Sea had been shallow? Have you ever thought about that? But because Goliath was 10 foot tall, it made him a arch enemy. It made it a difficult situation. But if he had been tiny, God wouldn't have had an opportunity to use David to slay him. Basically, what I'm saying is we need to praise God when those giants come into our lives. And there are going to be giants that show up in our lives. Things that we have no idea, how are we going to defeat this? You're not. But you serve an almighty God that already knows the beginning from the end. And you can trust Him. The tomb is empty. He is on His throne. And this is just all an opportunity for Him to show Himself mighty on your behalf. That's the kind of God I want. That's the kind of God I want to serve. I don't want a God that says, I'm going to make it easy for you. Because I know me. The easier it gets, the more complacent I get. Ask my wife. I want a God that says, I love you so much, I'm going to put this challenge in front of you. I love you so much that I want... See, God already knows. God already knows. God already knows what your reaction is going to be. And He's just giving you these opportunities just to show yourself what God already knows, what your reaction is going to be. Isn't that exciting? Well, that's exactly what God does. Look at Numbers 13. When the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan. They're there at the promised land, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send every one a ruler among them? So they collect 12 men, and they send them into into the promised land. You go spy out the land, and you come back and report to us. God told them to do it. God wanted them to know that there were giants in the land. He also wanted them to know that the pomegranates, the pomegranates were just unbelievable. And by the way, why a, a, a pomegranate? You ever thought about a pomegranate? Why is it so uh, often mentioned in the Bible? How many of you ever eaten a pomegranate? You know how many seeds are in a pomegranate? That one little fruit has so many seeds. That's descriptive. That's symbolic of God's promise and blessings. That's why the pomegranate is so instrumental in God's figuring in his dealing with the nation of Israel. So the pomegranate just, that, that pomegranate represents what God says, I'm going to bless you. You ever tried counting the seeds in a pomegranate? Don't. See me afterwards and I'll tell you. No, I don't know how many seeds are in a pomegranate. But it's pretty incredible. Figs. 
one of the most important dietary items for the nation of Israel. Other than wheat, figs were their main source of diet. And the grapes for the wine and for, for the celebration and all that went into Israel's worship. Look at Numbers 13, 23. So these 12 spies, they came into the brook of Eshcol, which means cluster, by the way. That's what the word means, cluster. And they cut down from there a branch with a cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a stave, a staff, and they brought of the pomegranate and of the figs. And the place was called the brook of Eshcol, because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching of the land 40 days. You wonder why 40 years? It's because God is going to punish them. They were there 40 days, and they came back with this report, this lack of faith. And God says, okay, you were there 40 days. You're going to be in the wilderness 40 years. Anyway, that's... Just so you wonder. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land where the, you sent us. Surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Wow. Nevertheless, man, see, that's a big nevertheless. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb, still the people before Moses, I'm sure they were starting to rumble. They were starting to go, oh, oh, oh. That's, I mean, they, they, so quickly they'd forgotten about the fact that God said it was flowing with milk and honey. That's good enough for us. God's word is true. He's going to give us that land. So sharpen your swords. Let's go. Let's go. So Caleb steals the people before Moses. And he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. That's faith. That's faith. Joshua is going to join Caleb in that attitude. Okay, so, so they're giants. So that's going to be a problem. Did you see who hovers over our tabernacle? Do you see who guides us, who directs us? Weren't you there at the parting of the Red Sea? Weren't you there when we were so thirsty and we didn't know what we were going to do and the water was there? It was so sweet and it was so fresh. So the giants. Maybe that's where the, big, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I mean, that's, I don't know. But that would have been Caleb's attitude. Verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. 
what that blares to us, what that says to us, is these ten were walking by sight and not by faith. See, God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. What it also tells us is there's been a second eruption of demonic beings, demonic activity going on here. Remember in Genesis chapter 6, it says there were giants in the land in those days, and also after that? Well, this is describing the after that. As soon as Satan knew where the seed of the woman was going to come from, boom, he got in there, and you had another disruption with the sons of God going into the daughters of men. That's critical, and that, that takes a whole different study. But anyway, that's what they were telling them. The place is demonic. That's what, that's what they were saying. But Caleb was still saying, hey, let's get it on. Let's get going. We can do this. this God gave us this land. He's already told us what's going to happen. Why are you delaying? Chapter 14, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night because they were so happy and they were so ready to go. Not what it says. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation unto them. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? That angers God. That angers God. Verse 9. We find that God considers this. They were rebelling. They, they were rebels. Against, against the Lord. Verse 11 of chapter 14, the Lord says unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it ere that they believe me for all the signs which I have shown among them? That, that sort of brings it right down to what we've been talking about. I've shown them. I've proven to them. Chapter, verse 21 says, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, folks, if you don't hear anything else I say, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of what, what, which dispensation we're in, I want us to know this. Regardless of what's in the future, regardless of what's going to happen in this nation, regardless of what's going to happen around the world, we need to know this. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. You can take that to the bank. That's going to happen. That's what God's promises. Now that, he was saying that in a different dispensation, under a different program, but that's still a truth. And we can trust God through all of that. And because of all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall, my, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Their forty-year journey begins and the generation that was there aren't going to see the promised land verse 29 tells us from 20 years old and upward 
they've murmured against me. So 40 years, that generation, they're going to go through the wilderness. It is not until that generation is done and over with, those that are going to go into the land are those that were 20 years of age or, or 19 and under. And they're going to see God's hand move and direct and lead them through, through the wilderness. Verse 33, well, verse 32, But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until the carcasses, until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. According to the census that we talked about earlier, as they left and turned from being on the verge, being on the verge of the promised land, as they turned from that and they headed into the wilderness, they left that which was flowing with milk and honey and all the blessings that God had in store. It kind of reminds you of when the Lord Jesus came and the promises made to Israel and all the blessings that would come from believing on him. And they said, we'll not have this man to reign over us. Oh, on the verge, here was their Messiah. Here he was offering himself for their sins. And Israel said, we reject. They don't have a very good track record. You know that? They blew it here and they blew it there because of sin, because of lack of faith. Your children are going to wonder 40 years. What they tell us is there were 60 funerals a day to get that generation done and over. You don't get very far and you stop. Oh, there's another funeral. There's another funeral. 60 funerals a day, six per hour in order for that generation to be to be gone before they reach the promised land. All because of sin. All because they rejected God's promises. And there are so many other things here that we have. Um, Moses was not able to go into the promised land because he did a really idiotic thing. He did not trust God. He did not do what God told him to do. You ever wonder why Moses was not able to go into the promised land? What did he do that caused God to say, you're not going? Turn, that's exactly right. Turn with me to chapter 20, real quick. Children, of, they, were, they were in the wilderness now. They were in the wilderness. Uh, Miriam has died. Um, there's a new generation coming up in Israel. They are needing water. They're needing water again. Look at uh, Exodus 7. Look at Exodus 7. This was kind of a repeat. 
Uh, Exodus 17, I'm sorry. Look at Exodus 17. Verse 5. They were being preserved from thirst again. Verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherein thou smote the river, take in thy hand, and go. And behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. What God was told Moses to do is you strike that rock once. And as you strike that rock, water is going to flow. That was symbolic. That rock is Christ. Just as Christ was smitten, just as Christ uh, being the rock of our salvation, just as he was smitten, that was symbolic. That was a testimony of what God planned on doing. And sure enough, as Moses struck that rock, what came out? Water flowed, living water, refreshing water. Well, fast forward to Numbers 21. They are needing water again. Verse 7, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, and thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak, speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shall give the congregation and their beast drink. This time, what did God tell Moses to do? Speak. Is speak and smite two different things? The rock was to be smitten. It was representing Christ. What's going to happen to God in order for that living water to come forth? He was smitten once. Here, Moses has said, you speak to the rock. Oh, can you imagine the impact? Can you imagine the glory that God will receive when he shows his power? And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? May we? That's not French. I don't think it is, Courtney, but anyway, may we? Basically, I was going, no, you're not. May we? Fetch you water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, destroying that type, destroying the glory of God, just, just doing away with God, God's plan and purpose of those people to see the witness. Speak to it. You don't need to strike it. It's been struck. Just speak to it and watch what happens. But may we. And so he smote the rock. And water came out abundantly. 
and the congregation drank and their beast also. There wasn't much gladness in Moses' life at that moment. Verse 12, God says, Aaron, Moses, because you believe me not to sanctify, that was the purpose was to sanctify, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. You did it for yourself. You didn't do it for my glory. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. That's the reason Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He gets to see it. He goes up on a high hill. He looks and he sees it. Oh, there's so many places here. The cities of refuge that are declared represent Christ. Uh, you have the serpent. Because of their wickedness, because of their sin, God sends snakes, poisonous snakes in, and they're biting the people. And they cry out, and Moses, go, on their behalf, Moses is a type of Christ throughout here. Keep going to God on behalf of the children of Israel. And they have a, uh, a brazen serpent. God says, Moses, you hold that up. And anyone who's bitten by that snake that looks upon it, they'll be healed and the snake won't kill them. Later on in the scripture, what we have uh, in, in John three fourteen, 14, uh, Christ says, just as the, the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, uh, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So the, here is another type of Christ all the way through it. The bottom line there was Christ was saying, hey, look to me. Look to me. And there you'll have salvation. Look to me and you'll be saved. What a glorious God we serve. What a wonderful Savior we have. He's given us his word as an example of what to do and what not to do. But you know what so often happens? We do the very opposite. God calls on us to be faithful to him. In the book of Numbers, he is leader. And how thankful I am that the same God that was leading them back then is the God who leads us today. Does he lead you this morning? Amen. Let's pray. Father, come before you right now and how thankful we are for your word and the, example, the examples that have been set before us. Father, we've seen what hard hearts and wicked hearts will do and what it causes. And Father, we see how disobedience distresses you, grieves you. Father, we don't want to do that here. We want to praise you. We want to lift you up. We want to obey you. But Father, we do realize that we're sinners. We realize we go astray. We say dumb things. We do dumb things that are not pleasing to you. Father, they're just sin. But we stand before you and thanking you for your grace. Thanking you for looking beyond our faults and seeing our need and meeting that need by your only Son. 
on Calvary's cross. Father, how thankful we are that today we can stand and declare your grace, your infinite grace, your amazing grace. Father, we can stand and declare that we are in Christ. Father, even when you showed yourself so true and so real and so evident, they still didn't follow you. And Father, in this day of grace, what you show is that even when you were so evident they didn't follow, today we need your grace. Father, we can't do it without your grace. We can't exist without your grace. In your mercy and in your love. Father, we rejoice that in this present dispensation of grace, it is being poured, poured out. And I pray that every single person here takes advantage, believes, trusts in that amazing grace, that unending love, accepts that offer of eternal life through Christ. And we pray these things. In his precious name. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, let me encourage you by faith. Put your faith and trust in him. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, just thank you for every home that's represented here. Thank you for every life that's represented. Father, we rejoice in your goodness and your mercy. Father, we're here to worship you. Father, we just pray that you will direct this church, give us wisdom and insight as we desire to reach out to a world that is so lost and needs your leadership, needs to be directed from the Word of God, and may we ever stand upon the Word of God and proudly proclaim it. Now, Father, bless us as we go to our homes. Bless us this week as we serve you. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.